0: You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.
1: So this morning, we are going to continue on in a little mini-series we're doing as we focus on and prepare for Christmas together. If you were with us last week, our Gary Breshears wrapped up for now where we're at in the Gospel of Mark. And really, that, that was such a great passage that really builds on what we're going to look at here today. Um, in looking at Jesus' connection to the Davidic promises and his connections to David, and we'll, of course, explore more of that this morning in the passage we're going to look at, because this morning we will start some time in the book of Matthew for the next month here, and we'll start with Matthew chapter 1. And really, as we look at this passage, it asks some questions of us, and here's one of them. Who are you? What is your identity? what's what's your heritage where where do you come from i remember when i was a little kid i asked my mom that that very question mom Where do I come from? And I'll never forget her answer. And in fairness to your mom, you have to understand, my mom has a great sense of humor. I love to hear my mom laugh. She makes me laugh. We're kind of far-side humor people. You know, we just, we have a really weird sense of humor. Lots of things make us laugh. We did a lot of laughing in my family of origin. And my mom, I'm sure I get my my twisted sense of humor from her. I mean, that's that's just who she is. And all that being said, I remember... Asking this question of her mom, where did I come from? And I'll never forget her answer. She said, well, son, this is, this is how it happened. Your dad and I were walking along one day. And we saw this rock. And I kicked over that rock. And there you were. And you jumped onto my leg. And I couldn't shake you off. So we took you home. And I believed that. Like till I was 30. Until I figured that out, that that wasn't quite... What, what happened? But this morning we come to this passage that is a genealogy. It traces the lineage, the, the history, the heritage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And if, and if we can be honest with one another, I, I, I just finished reading through the Old Testament I'm most of the way through the New now this last year. And in the Old Testament there are so many genealogies. And there's so many name lists. And if we could just be honest, when you come to those, aren't you at least a little tempted to skip over them? Move past them? Let's get to what's relevant. Let's get to the good stuff. But my hope is that after we look at this passage here this morning, you will not see this passage in that light. Because this passage tells us some profound realities about us and about God. So I encourage you to not check out as we look at this passage together, because it it, it matters. And this is one of the reasons why. Back to our original question, who are you? What is your identity? How would you answer that? Because you're asked to answer that often. For instance, this last week I went to the DMV to take care of something for one of our cars, and they wanted a birth certificate. Or a social security card. And in our culture, we have these documents, these things that establish our identity. In some ways, they establish our heritage. But if you were forced to prove that you were you, if you were forced into a position where you had to validate your heritage, your identity, who you were in an oral culture where things were not written down, how would you do that? Enter genealogies. To the Jewish people, genealogies were profoundly important because it established that, A, you were a Jew, that, B, what tribe you were from, and, C, if you were qualified for some of the Levitical and priesthood duties that demanded you know what your heritage was. People, by and large, knew their genealogy. And and the very list that we're going to look at today is structured in such a way that it's memorizable, And so we're going to read names in this list. And for those of you who know your Bibles, you might notice there are some names that are skipped because this is the gist of it. It's not an absolute exact detailed list. It captures most of the genealogy of Jesus, but it's really the ancestor of, that's the language. And so there's some people who are missing from this, but by and large, it's pretty complete. There are three sets of 14 And again, as you hear these names and as you see this list, please don't check out because this is what I want you to watch for. Who is in Jesus' genealogy? For those of you who know your Bibles, it will be shocking to you. For those of you who maybe aren't familiar with your Bible, we're going to be unpacking some of that as to why this genealogy is so amazing and what it tells us about ourselves, and, and tells us about this amazing God. So when you're a preacher, when you're a pastor, and you come to a list or a genealogy of difficult names, what do you do? You have someone else read it. So we're going to listen to a, a reading of this passage. This is by one of our very own. His name is Rick Riley, and he would kill me if you knew I was telling you this, but I don't think he's in the service, so I will. You'll probably recognize his name. He is a professional voiceover guy. He does stuff for the NFL all the time and all sorts of entities, so it's well done. He spent a lot of time researching how to pronounce these names. So they probably are right. I hope they are. So as you listen to these, watch for who is in Jesus' genealogy. Watch for who makes the list. Let's listen to that together, and we'll put it up on the screen.
2: Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Pyrrhus, and Zerah, Whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nahshon, Nahshon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Acham, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar; Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah.
1: So there you have it. So let's walk our way back through this passage. And in the very opening verse here, this is a huge statement about Jesus' heritage. Because again, remember, this is tracing Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham, some 2,000 years before Jesus was born, and look what it says. He is the Messiah, which is a huge statement we'll come back to, and the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, what's important to understand is that the Gospels were written to specific audiences. Matthew, in particular, was written to a Jewish audience. And so if you were trying to validate, if you were trying to authenticate, if you were trying to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, you better show how he connects to David and Abraham because there were promises that were given to Abraham and to David that the Messiah would ultimately fulfill. And in the Old Testament, these are known as covenants. And you may or may not be familiar with them. They are are far more substantive even than just a promise, although we often refer to them as promises and I wrote them as promises in your sermon notes But you have to understand the significance of a covenant. Basically, in simplest form, there were two different kinds of covenants. And this wasn't just a Jewish thing or an Israel thing. This was an ancient Near Eastern thing. This was how relationships were entered into. Two kinds of covenants. One was called a conditional covenant. The conditional covenant was basically, if you do this, then I'll do that. The Mosaic Covenant... The law is an example of that. Where God said, if you do this, I will bless you. But if you don't do this, then I will punish you. Conditional covenant. Then there is the unconditional covenant. The unconditional covenant basically says, I am going to do this for you regardless of what you do. This is what I'm going to do. The Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant are unconditional promises. Those are promises that God made to Abraham and David but extended to his people. And this is basically saying Jesus is the one who fulfills all the promises made to David, all the promises made to Abraham. Excellent. What were those? They're in your sermon notes and we will quickly touch in on them. Some of the promises made to Abraham were this. And this is found in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 22. And again, I have all these references in your sermon notes. But there was a promise of land. There was a promise that God would make Abraham into a, a, a great and numerous people and that they would be under God's rule. An easy way to, or easier way to remember this, I was taught by this by a professor in my seminary days. Basically, the Abrahamic covenant was God's people in God's place, under God's rule and reign. But there was another provision, another provision of this covenant that is hugely important. That all nations would somehow be blessed through Abraham. And this was kind of a mystery. How, how is that, that going to play out? What is, what is that going to look like? And now we come to the Davidic covenant, which is found primarily in 2 Samuel 7, but it's mentioned in other parts of the Old Testament. But once again, that promise of land was reiterated and, and, and renewed. And there was a promise given to David that his heir would sit on the throne. And as you're reading 2 Samuel 7, and when we went through that series a year ago, if you'll remember back with me, you're, as we're reading in that passage, yeah, it makes sense. It's going to be Solomon. Of course. But as you continue to read on, it's far bigger than Solomon. What what God is promising him is a kingdom and a dynasty forever. One of David's descendants will always be the king of Israel, will always sit on the throne. And then we come to this genealogy, or even for those of you who know your Old Testaments and, and, and we're left with this puzzle of, how does that work? Because Israel as a nation was obliterated by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and there no longer was a recognizable nation with land and a king. They went into exile. And Jesus' lineage is traced through the exile in this list that we just looked at. But how in the world is that going to work? Enter Jesus. He is the one who is going to fulfill all of those those promises. He's the Messiah. Now, how does that work? Because there's a problem here. This is tracing Jesus' lineage through Joseph back to Abraham. How did Mary become the mother of Jesus? Well, we know this. She didn't kick over a rock and find Jesus, right? <laughs> so, how is he the Messiah if Mary's his mom? And we wouldn't know this by looking at this in English. But there's something very substantive and very significant in that phrase that I've highlighted there for you. And Jewish listeners, Jewish readers, especially those who knew Greek, would have caught this right away. There are a number of ways Matthew could have written this sentence, and he wrote it very specifically in the original language, and for those of you who, you know, know your Greek and get excited about that, this is what's called a divine passive for most of us. We go, who cares? But this is what matters. Mary did not have Jesus through sex. Mary had Jesus by being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Which means that Jesus is fully human and he is fully God. He is Joseph's legal descendant, legal son, but he's Mary's biological one. Therefore, he is the Messiah. He is the only person in history who is fully human and fully God. And this has profound implications for us. There are so many things we could celebrate about this. But here's one, and if you hear anything in this sermon this morning, please anchor to this. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of all the promises of God. Therefore, God always keeps his promises. Always. God always does what he says he will do. He always keeps his promises. Let's take that for a test drive. How long were the people waiting for God to fulfill his promises to Abraham? And understand... That's still not completely fulfilled. There's a futuristic element to that too. But how long were they waiting? Abraham lived roughly 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Can you imagine waiting for something for 2,000 years? We kind of are, right? For Jesus to come back a second time, it's been a couple thousand years. That's how long people were waiting for God to fulfill what he promised to Abraham. And then Jesus comes. They were waiting over a thousand years for him to fulfill the promises made to David. David lived roughly a thousand years before Jesus. That is a long time to wait. And some of you so get that. In fact, I would hazard, I would hazard, I would wager that all of you understand what it is to wait. What are you waiting on God for this morning? What is a promise that you want him to fulfill? Here's one. Who is it in your life that does not yet know Jesus? Well, for starters, if they'll come with you, bring them to Christmas Eve. People will come to Christmas Eve and Easter and not any other day of the, of the year to celebrate, but they'll come for Easter and Christmas. Man, bring them to our Christmas Eve service. I'll give you a hint on what we're going to talk about, what we always do, Jesus and the gospel. I promise they will hear a very clear gospel presentation just like we're focusing on this morning. But what about those people who don't know Jesus? My family of origin, none of them know Jesus. I have been praying for them for decades and, and, and they still don't know the Lord. That's hard. Because there, there are no guarantees that they're going to respond to Jesus. There are no guarantees that they're, they're someday going to receive him like, like I did at one point. So I, so I pray for them. But I, I wrestle with that tension. But I'll tell you this. There's someone in our church who prayed for his mom for over 70 years and in the last couple months, on her deathbed, she received Jesus Christ after 70 years of prayer. It's remarkable. And stories like that keep me going. But I still wrestle with, with you over those folks who I love in my life who don't yet have the hope I have, who don't yet know Jesus the way I, I do. And at the end of the day, if God keeps his promises, if if there are no guarantees that they're going to respond to him, but that I do believe that God loves them, then the reality is no one loves them more than God does. No one wants them to know Jesus more than Jesus does, so therefore I can entrust the people I love who don't know Jesus to God because no one loves them more than I do. Or what about this? What about those times it feels like God is doing nothing? You ever felt like that? That person in your life, or maybe it's you, who starts down that addictive cycle once again. They're caught in some kind of addiction, and you're thinking, okay, they're finally going to pull out. We're finally going to put this behind us, and they go right, they relapse, they go right back to where they were. And so easy when that happens again and again to just say, well, things are never going to change. Here we go again. Or or those battlegrounds in your life or someone else's life where maybe it's not an addiction, but it's just, it's something that's got their number. And here this brokenness is again. And it seems like God is doing nothing. And yet God promises us in John chapter five that the father is always at work and Jesus is always at work. And even if we can't see it, even if we're not experiencing it, even if it's not a reality to us, it's a reality because why? God always keeps his promises even when it seems like he's doing nothing even when it feels like he's left the scene god is god is at work and therefore i can trust that because god always keeps his promises or let's go even deeper here and i know this is hard to talk about but we have to go there but who's not here today who's missing from your life who have you lost Three years ago on this very day, I stood in a bed in an ICU, stood by a bed in an ICU, and watched my sister fighting for her life and losing it. She died three years ago, today. In some ways, it feels like a lifetime. In other ways, it feels like it was just yesterday. And grief is not something you ever get over. You get through it, you don't ever get over it. It it changes you forever. And it's part of the journey we all take in a broken world here where we are going to lose people we love, and it hurts. And Scripture tells us, God promises us, we do not grieve like other people grieve. But sometimes that gets distorted and misconstrued, and it's said that we don't grieve. Yeah, we do. Of course we grieve. But but we grieve with hope. Because those who know Jesus, those who have received Jesus in their lives, they are with the Lord. We are going to see them once again. We know that for a fact. My sister, I don't know if she knew the Lord. She didn't, up to that point, she was a Mormon, didn't know the the real Jesus. And as I stood over her deathbed, I read God's word to her, I read the gospel to her, and I know she could hear and I just, I don't know. But, but I can trust God with, with, with that. Here yesterday, we celebrated the life of Denise Mandanka. So hard to lose her. But at the same time, we, we celebrate the reality that she's with the Lord. Man, today, we got an email early this morning that Bill Berg, who many of you know, who's one of our folks who worships here at Grace, Bill had a stroke. He's in a surgery right now. They're trying to save his life. And and we'll pray for him and his family in just a little bit, but my land, does it get any harder? And yet we have to understand, we have to anchor ourselves to the hope that this God always keeps his promises. Always, always, always. And therefore, it also challenges us with this. One of the ways that we are most like God is when we keep ours. Do you keep your promises? Are you honoring the commitments that you've made? Because even when you don't, we're reminded of this, that God extravagantly gives us his, his grace, His grace is all over these names. Every single one of them. Th- this, this passage we looked at is dripping. It is saturated with God's grace because remember the question I asked you going into this? Who's in the list? And there are names that jump out to us right away if we know anything about genealogies that are out of place. And it's these. Women were not usually recorded in genealogies. Genealogies were usually traced through the men. And, and there's several reasons for that. But, but look who's in this list. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife. For those of you who know your Old Testaments, do you remember the background on these ladies? When you go to your family reunions, if you have them, or even when you think about your heritage, do you really claim everybody in your family? <laughs> do you really want to be related to Uncle Rico? A.K.A. Napoleon Dynamite, if you haven't seen it. Waste of money, don't, but that part was funny. Everybody has a crazy Uncle Rico in their family. I'm probably that for some of mine. But if you were explaining your family heritage to someone... Is this who you would name? Not just because of their gender. There's some profoundly broken men in this list too. Is that who you would claim? Because Genesis 38 describes Tamar because her father-in-law Judah would not do what he was supposed to do, and that is give her one of his remaining sons to continue to perpetuate the family line She took matters into her own hands, dressed herself up as a prostitute, and Judah, being the fine, upstanding, righteous man he was, seeing her said, wow, that's a good idea, a prostitute. I'll have sex with her. Her sons are in Jesus' family lineage here. They're listed here. Incest? Rahab, a Canaanite? Also a prostitute? Ruth, a Moabitess? Moabites were bitter enemies of Israel. According to the law, they were excluded from the community till the 10th generation. And she's in Jesus' family lineage? And Uriah's wife, here's one, that's as much a statement about David as it is about Bathsheba. Why do you think she's referred to here as Uriah's wife? Because she wasn't David's. David, in seeing her, Summoned her, and she had two choices. She could refuse him and possibly lose her life because the king held absolute authority. When he summoned you, you came. Or she could comply, and she did. And that's where we get Solomon. Incest. Adultery. Prostitution. Murderers. Thieves. Thugs. All part of Jesus' Family lineage. Jews, non Jews, which is astounding. Why? All broken people representing all people men, women, Jews, non Jews, all in desperate need of God's grace. The fulfillment of God's promise to bless all people through Abraham on display right here in Jesus' genealogy in who makes the list. It is absolutely remarkable because this list is saturated with God's grace, which brings us to this. Christmas is the celebration of God faithfully giving us himself, his, his presence. And this is the greatest story ever. Do you realize this is, this is the end of religion? Religion says, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, adhere to this moral code, whatever, and that maybe somehow will make you acceptable to God. Scripture declares, it's not that we first love God, it's that God first loved us. Jesus comes seeking us, Jesus comes looking for us, he comes into this world after us to give us his present. We don't go to God, God comes to us. And God will come to us in the deepest, darkest, most difficult seasons of our life as well as the seasons of joy and celebration because Christmas celebrates hope. Real, tangible, true, faithful hope. And there are so many stories that we could tell from your lives to illustrate this. I'd like you to just hear one and it takes no small amount of courage to get up here and tell your story. But there's someone who I want to invite to do that, and that's Nancy Watts. Nancy is familiar to many of you. She's on our worship team. She's one of our singers. She was serving on the team last week. And just hearing some of Nancy's story, I said, Nancy, would you be willing to share your story with, you know, five, six hundred of your closest friends here on Sunday morning? <laughs> and, and she bravely said yes. So will you tell us how you have seen God's presence mightily. and hope in your life?
0: Yes, mightily. Um, it's hard to put it into a few minutes. It, it, the Lord is so good. Um, uh, first off in Philippians 4.19, it says, and my God will fill your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's not your every want. That's your every need. And sometimes the Lord kind of has to show us and remind us what a need is compared to a want. And uh, I grew up... Loving the Lord. I, my dad ran the sound. My mom was the clerk. And, and, and I, I loved my body and my, and my fellowship and my pastor. and, and they, My church was more family to me than a church. And uh, I decided to go into the legal field. It's my job, which I would not wish on any believer to ever work for attorneys or the Sadducees, because <laughs> they are sad.
1: I'm staying out of that I'm one. I'm sorry.
0: I had to do that. I'm a dork too, so. But being in that world has has made me pretty hard at times, and uh, it's been very hard to shine my light in that world. And the, the Lord gave me an awesome husband that he showed me I was going to marry when I was eight years old. And uh, he struggled with a lot of body issues. He's been a painter for a very long time. And his body's falling apart uh, very slowly over the fa- past few years. We had been given what we thought was going to be our beautiful farmhouse out in the country. I was leading worship on a worship team. And I thought everything was just amazing. The Lord is so good. I've got a good job. My husband's working at the time he was working full time. I've got this beautiful farmhouse. And Lord, you've been so great. But the Lord gives and he takes away. And it's not necessarily for anything that we've done, but sometimes he just has to change the season in our life to grow us more, you know. And I lost my worship team. I lost my house. Being nothing we did. The Lord just kind of said, okay, it's, it's time. It's, it's time. You've done nothing wrong, but we've got somewhere else for you to be. And so we closed on a house out here in Gresham in less than 30 days. That had to be the Lord. But I was like, I'm moving from the country to Gresham.
1: I don't like this. Try not to take that personally. Sorry.
0: Sorry. I'm a Mount Hood Community College graduate, and so I'm used to it. But I just out the country to the hood is what was kind of crazy for me. But, you know, the Lord is so faithful. I went to my old hairdresser, who was also my old youth leader when I was in the youth group. And he says, well, why don't you come out to Grace Community? And I'm like, okay. I know where that's at. I can be there. Okay. I'll be there. And we came. And the Lord has done nothing but bless our socks off since we have come. He's shown us the path that he has made and the the reason for the change in our seasons my husband recently uh, back in october had to have his neck fused and we were we are still looking at a few more weeks but he, 6 to 8 weeks of no income from him whatsoever and take it the lord gave me a good job but it's not quite enough <laughs> for what we had and uh, the lord has met that very need he had the church come and pray for Terry before the sermon which just blessed our socks off just totally He fed us with meals, wonderful food. I wish I was still on the meal chain, actually.
1: (laughs) Got some great cooks here.
0: And he has met every single financial need that we were lacking in, every single and above and beyond. I'm just so humbled and overwhelmed to be a part of grace and that you allow me to sing on the, the worship teams and The Lord even gave me an outlet. He gave me a funk Jesus band to play my flute and sing with. And the Lord is just, he's so good. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you look at at other people being blessed and you're like, well, how come, how come I'm okay? How come I'm not? And he says, it's it's his timing. Um, My UPS lady said the best thing the other day to me. She said, God usually does not come early. God is never late. God is always on time. Just like he did for Jesus for us. He brought Jesus into our lives right on time. And he will supply your needs right on time.
1: Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your heart and life with us.